Welcome to the Law of Startups podcast. I'm Mike Schneider, and here with us today is Susan Schala. She's sitting in for Joe Wallen. She's going to co-host with me. And uh, Susan, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, uh, this is Susan, and I'm here with Brittany Seabaugh of Armoire. Welcome, Brittany. Hi, thank you. Happy to be here. So just to get started, can you tell us a little bit about Armoire and uh, what the company does? Yeah, so we are a life hack for women who are either too busy or just don't have the desire to be out there shopping all the time. So for a subscription fee of $149 a month, you get a very curated, personalized, quick closet experience with us um, where you rent four items at a time. You keep them for as long as you want, and then when you're ready to send them back, um, we provide shipping and dry cleaning, and you get four new items. And they're brands that are high-end contemporary designers that really resonate with the lawyers, the consultants, the stay-at-home moms. So we we offer a full gamut in terms of styling and brands. Great. Can you tell us a little bit about how the idea came about? Yeah. So we all as women know the conundrum every morning of waking up and looking in your closet and spending half an hour, 15 minutes, an hour, whatever it is, it's too long figuring out what you're going to wear for the day. Um, so this came about when we were brainstorming and Someone asked our CEO if they could borrow a dress for a, an event they were going to. And she, you know, thought about it and she said, yeah, you know, we all share a closet. So um, you can borrow it as long as you're renting it from me. So she she brought in the the um, monetary component of trading and, and utilizing your sister's closet so that we, you know, aren't spending time cluttering our closet with stuff that we're not going to wear or that we're going to throw away um, after three uses um, and really being conscious about consumerism as well so that we're, you know, sharing amongst our peers and our friends and um, making the most out of uh, materials that we're wearing. Yeah, it it's really seems to fit within the current sharing economy idea, you know, like Uber and Airbnb, you know, you share your car, you share your, your home, and, and now you can pretty much share your closet as well um, and avoid having to buy a whole bunch of high-end um, things that, you know, just end up cluttering your closet and you might not wear all the time. Brittany, how, how long ago did you start on this? Or, I, and, and sort of what's your role? You mentioned that the founder kind of brought you in. So tell us a little about about sort of the background of the company, where you guys are at the moment. Sure, definitely. We started almost um, actually a year ago in June. So um, there were two of our co-founders that were going through Sloan Business School at MIT. And that's where this um, idea really blossomed. They got into the accelerator at MIT over the summer and brought on a marketing focal from another myriad of um, startups that she has participated in and a data scientist with a PhD from MIT to work on kind of our backend machine learning. And then I came on when we went from Boston to Seattle, and I, my background is in merchandising and styling. So I am leading up the merchandising and styling team at Armoire. But we've been around for a year. We moved from Boston to Seattle in early um, fall of 2016. And since we've been here, it's been great because we feel the community here is really um, in line with, you know, the investor network that we're going for, as well as the, the consumer, um, you know, People like Susan and other um, very high empowered women in the community of Seattle have really wrapped their arms around us, and it's been really wonderful so far. Yeah, it that's can great. So, oh, sorry. Oh, go, go ahead. Sure. So I was going to ask how. So you've been around. It sounds like about a year, and uh, 
So tell me about, I don't know how long you've been there with, you know, from the beginning or, or if you saw that launch, but what I'm, one of the things I'm really curious about lately is how you find customers when you launch a new thing um, that nobody knows about. And it's, it's kind of, there's this, there's this phase that starts with, you know, you've got, you've got a thing that's built, but not that many people know about, and then you have to transition to, you know, nobody knowing who you are to some people knowing who you are to hopefully everybody knowing who you are. Uh, I'm curious to know what, what that process looked like for you guys. Um, how did, how did you how do you find your customers? What's the, I don't know if you're involved in that piece of the business or not, but do you have anything to share on that? Like uh, advice for people that are trying to go from something small to something big? Yeah. For us, the biggest um, group of initial customers were friends and family. So they were kind of our guinea, guinea pigs and testing the product. And from there, so far, we haven't spent a ton of money on marketing, which for us has been great because we can, you know, use our focuses towards, other uh, initiatives of the company, but referrals have been by far and large the biggest um, acquisition channel for us. So this is a tough idea to wrap your head around, um, especially for different generations, have different thoughts about, you know, renting clothes versus somebody who's used to always going in and seeing a personal stylist and buying clothes. So really changing that cultural mindset around this is, this is not only a smart and um, conscious way of outfitting yourself. Um, but it's, it's in your best interest. We're giving you time back. So, um, so far referral, our referral network, like I said, has been amazing. Our group of what we call our arm warriors, um, mm-hmm. are those, because- those customers have been with us for a long time and they've, they've been great in passing, spreading the word. Do you do anything like proactively to try to encourage that kind of a sharing or, or, uh, or, I mean, do you, is that something that you've cultivated uh, consciously or did it just kind of happen? Um, so originally it, it started happening and then we realized we were onto something with the referral referral network. Um, so now we offer a, a bounty to our referrals. So if you refer a friend, you get $25 off your next subscription or towards purchasing a piece of clothing that you love. Um, and then we're also starting to test different um, brand ambassador you know, plays where it it's somebody that's not a customer, like a hairdresser or, you know, a, a personal stylist at one of the big retailers that they can, you know, refer their clients to us and they also get a kickback. Yeah. So that's kind of like a traditional affiliate program yeah. sort of thing. Right. Is it, um, even for that, you sort of still have to find the people and recruit them. So, so at that point you're like, um, I guess you find fewer people, but you still have to, to seek them out. Um, so that, that's great. Have you done much in terms of trying to get, sounds like an interesting business model, uh, you know, in terms of getting publicity and, and PR, have you found it, it easy to pitch to, to the media and, and get some, some free, free coverage, I guess you'd say, rather than paying for the advertising? Yeah. So we've, we've been lucky in that we've connected with Seattle magazine, um, King five evening news and a couple blog posters that have huge networks. So they, um, you know, they get to try out the product and, and write us up. And, um, we've seen some, some traction from their followers. So it, it, what we found is somebody has to be wearing our clothes in order to really show people what it means to be, you know, part of this armoire network and renting is, is the way of the future. Great. And the clothes are all clothes that you've curated or the company curates. And then, uh, it's not like the, the users are sharing clothes with each other that, like you don't you don't send in something from your closet, and, right? And right. swap it with somebody else in the network, right? Um, that's that's great. And um, 
yeah, it seems like seems like a good thing. I don't know why just women. I guess is that just the easier portion of the market to target? Um, I've got I used um, I've used Trunk Club before for clothing, um, and it sort of feels like similar in a way. They send they send you a box of stuff and you open it up uh, and you see if you like it, and some of it goes back and some of it you keep. Um, I like the the concept, um, but I think I'd like it better if I if I could send the things back. Like if I could just keep them, wear them, and send them back uh, after a month, I think I'd like that a lot better. Um, maybe, maybe something, do you guys have any plans to expand to men too? Or is it mostly, is women such a big market that, that that's enough for now? Um, I mean, we're always looking for new ideas for the future. So we have heard from men that they would love to utilize a service similar to our more right now, since we are a primarily female led team, we were, our focus is on, on women and how to help them save time and, and make their life a little easier and take the the stress of looking great off their plate and just knowing that they can rely on us to send them great, great products every week or biweekly, um, to dress themselves. But yeah, we, we've looked at accessories, um, men's down the road. So there's all these different avenues that we can explore, but we want to get the women right first. Yeah. Makes sense. So Susan, have you had a chance to try this, to try the service? I don't Did you, are you, are you a customer? I am. I am. Uh, yeah, it's been great. I like the idea of not having to keep, you know, not feeling like I have to keep things um, and get to try things that I wouldn't necessarily have chosen for myself. But, you know, I put on a blouse and somebody tells me, wow, you look great. And I think, really? I, I never would have chosen this. So it's kind of a surprise every, every you know, couple weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned, um, Brittany, you mentioned that Seattle's a good environment um, for the company. I mean, tell me, so were you, you joined the company after they came to Seattle, right? Yes. So there was, there was talk um, of moving back to Seattle in late summer. And that's when I, I decided to leave my, my longstanding job at Nordstrom and come and join the team. Oh yeah. And so are you guys, you mentioned something about like the, you know, the, the, um, the city and the support it, it may have for, for, um, startups. Are you guys, are you guys, have you raised money in, in Seattle and how was that process to, did you find Seattle to be, uh, I don't know, I guess, uh, you know, how did you, I don't know if you have anything to compare it to specifically, but you know, how did you find that experience? Is that, is the city supportive of what you're doing? Oh yes. The city is great. And if, especially the female involvement in the investment groups that we have been supported by um, is amazing. So I would say 80 to 90% of all of our um, investments, whether it's groups or individuals, have a, a boss lady running running the fund or involved in the fund. So it's it's been incredible to see, like I said, this group of women that have um, come together. And that's one thing that I've I was not in the startup world before this. Um, so I have really been interested in seeing all these different women come, you know, they're not coming out of the woodwork. I was just not exposed to them, but it's really just a refreshing and like I said, nurturing environment where we support each other. Um, and we feel at our more like we're giving back to that community as well, because they're, they're our ideal customers. Did you have, did you approach male funders as well? And, and what was the reaction versus the female funders? Yeah. So we have, in addition to the fabulous women that support us, we do have a great group of men that support us as well. And to be honest, at first, most men do not really grasp the concept. And, you know, we'll get walk into a room and there'll be some old school guys that'll just roll their eyes and not even listen to a pitch. Um, 
And then they'll sit there and maybe they'll see their their female com- counterpart be like, oh, my God, this is a great idea. And then they'll kind of start, you'll start seeing like some, you know, wheels turning and, and then like, oh, maybe this is something like maybe I do have a sister or a wife or a daughter who is, you know, fitting into this category of how can we how can we service her and make her her feel great. So, um, yeah, overall, everybody in Seattle has been lovely. And, and I would imagine that Seattle also grasps the idea of sustainability and, and the sharing of clothing rather than, you know, consumerism and, and buying new every time. Yeah. So our, our biggest contingent of customers is in Seattle, and that I think just happened naturally when we moved here. Um, so, yeah. So the idea of sharing closets, um, not, I mean, you walk around Seattle, it's very different than New York. You don't see, you see women put together very well, but you know that they're not necessarily, you know, shopping for hours on the weekend or spending all their time um, online shopping. Um, so Seattle was a natural fit from that perspective. And then like Susan said, like the idea of not throwing things away is, you know, very on trend right now. So captivating that. Um, and then outside of Seattle, our second biggest base is in the Boston, New York area, which also makes sense. Like we've, we found that our, our highest concentration of customers is in these cosmopolitan areas. Um, but we're looking to expand because we know that there's women out in, you know, Nebraska, Missouri, Tennessee, who don't have access to the designer stores that we're, we're offering. So that's our next step is really marketing to them. So beyond that referral program now, spending more money and efforts on on marketing to those target customers. That's great. And, it, you know, just uh, about the Seattle community, I, I know that you just have moved locations and now you're within the Riveter, the co-working space up on Capitol Hill. And that is focused on female-led companies. Is that right? Yeah. So they are an amazing team of also women um, who opened up this space, they had this idea that there needs to be, you know, a, a safe and um, welcoming community for women who are entrepreneurs, you know, working from home and just need a, a desk to to come and concentrate for a couple of hours a day. Um, their three pillars are women, wellness, and work. Um, and the, the crossover for Armoire's customers and the Riveter's customers has really just resonated with us. We've been able to network, you meet so many different people when you're sitting at a desk um, all day with your armoire team and then followed by um, all the the wonderful women that are at the Riveter. So we've been able to launch a few parties there, which has been amazing. So we'll have these pop-ins where we partner with different female-led entrepreneurs um, like ourselves that are also trying to make women's lives easier. Um, but yeah, the Riveter is, has been fantastic for us. So you mentioned the word boss lady, and I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about that because that has proven to be more controversial than than maybe you guys first expected. Um, it seems that some professional women really have an aversion to the, the term boss lady, but uh, you guys have stuck with it. Yeah. So, I mean, even amongst our own team at first, we knew it was going to be really polarizing this boss lady term. There's, you know, all these negative connotations that come with it. And then also super empowering and and powerful um, connotations that come along with this boss lady term. And we look at it as we're going to own it. Um, The women that we're serving are their bosses. They're, you know, these high level um, employees, they're high level in their household, they're, you know, these power moms that are doing a million different things. Um, So there's nothing 
we don't see anything wrong with saying that somebody is a boss lady because you can have this like very powerful job in life and then also have this feminine aspect to yourself that you want to, you know, merge the two into this, this all incredible term that we like to call the boss lady. So we're sticking with it. Is the boss lady part of the branding in general? Is that, is that like a tagline or how does it fit into the company? Like how did, was there, was there controversy? What's the, um, what's the Um, story there? Yeah. So we, that's just the, when we think of our, when we sit down and do our branding on who our customer is, we start off, um, you know, we listed off all these different things that she is. She's empowered. She's, you know, she's a little sassy. She's, um, she's busy. Um, she has a a point of view and it all culminated to what we, the one word we use for her, the two words is boss lady. Um, so in, in terms of it being, um, controversial or it very polarizing. It's, it's just out there. If you look at other blogs and um, other, you know, entrepreneurs or um, feminists that you either you're on one side or the other. Um, so yeah, it, it's controversial, but not within our company. We're, we're owning it. So we have, you know, our, one of our promo codes for all those listening is boss lady power. Um, and we've started making, you know, t-shirts and those have been the greatest hit um, when our husbands wear them. Out um, at the Women's March, one of our husbands was wearing, you know, the Boss Lady Power shirt and got so many, you know, call outs like, what is that? And so it's it's just a, a way for us to grab people's attention um, in yeah. a way that we stand behind. Yeah, I don't know if you if you incorporate that at all into like your landing page, but one of the things I've been looking at a lot uh, lately is, you know, how, how to create a landing page that drives conversions and, and gets people engaged when they show up at your site. You know, I've got a, a, a software as a service business that I've, I'm sort of launching at the moment and, and facing that challenge of, you know, paying for people to show up in some cases and trying to make sure that when they show up at the website, they, uh, you know, they're more like most likely to, to convert into a customer. And so one of the things I've heard from just reading about the, the topic is, you know, taking a position and being very clear about who your product is for is, is a good idea. Um, because you don't want people, you know, if, if some people show up at your website and they see the service that you're offering and, and what you're, what you're saying puts them off and they leave, you know, that's, that's okay because there's another group of people that will see your message and they'll know, Hey, this is the service. This service is for me. It's speaking to me. And that having, having, you know, maybe half the market look at your site and say, this is, this is, or, or having even if it's not half half the market, even if it's just your particular niche, look at it and say, "Wow, this site is is for me." Um, it, it's better than having you try, try to to you know have a more general message that tries to appeal to everybody but doesn't get anyone excited. Absolutely, I think that's one thing um, that we struggled with early on was trying to be everything for everybody. Um, but what we've learned going down you know this last year is that. We are a very specific brand, and we're we're targeting a very specific. Although within that specific woman, she's she has broad interest and in, and in hobbies and careers. Um, but yeah, we're we're we definitely have honed in on who who we are now targeting. What are what are some of the challenges that your business is facing now? Like in terms of your stage of growth, are you are you in the building process? Are you trying to build out your team? Are you trying to find customers? Are you trying to improve the product? Or all of those things? Like what what's the focus of the company at the moment? Right now, it's um, customer acquisition and building out our team. We were lucky to hire an amazing woman who's going to work on um, our marketing team. Recently, we have an intern for the summer who has been such, um, a breath of fresh air and she is incredible. Like she, she's hit the ground running. Um, so we're still looking for, um, you know, talent on the development side, a front end and full stack developer. 
as well as, you know, just um, various operation roles because we are shipping and packing everything out of our office. So we're always looking for, you know, the, the muscle to help us with that. And you mentioned, so you mentioned that the algorithm that, that is behind, you know, the, the website and, um, you know, as we say, every company these days is also a tech company. So you're a fashion company primarily, but, but talk about the, the tech that's behind the scenes. Yeah. So initially when we came out of MIT, you can imagine, you know, seeing all the, the engineers and the data scientists that would normally go through one of their, um, accelerators would look over and see this group of women with two men mixed into the group holding up dresses. And, you know, they're like, what is this joke of a company? Um, but I, I believe we're the only one that came out of that accelerator um, and is still around a year later. Um, but yeah, so we have a, an amazing man on our team who came from MIT, has a PhD in data science, and he is vigorously working on the algorithm in the back end. So um, what we're doing is we're taking feedback from every piece of clothing uh, that a customer sees from start to finish. So whether they see it in their virtual closet up front or whether they rent it, they have to click a button and tell us if they liked it or they didn't like it. Um, and if they rented it, they give us more more feedback as to why. Was it the fit? Was it the color? Was it the silhouette? Um, and so all of that, we're acquiring all the data in the back end and we it's, it's surprisingly for only a year old, a huge set of data um, because, you know, somebody might have, Susan, for instance, has probably seen over 300 pieces of clothing between what she's rented and what she's seen on her computer. Um, so from that, we're going to be using a blend of art and science. So the styling team, which I lead up along with the algorithm in the back end, will start making very predictive, curated selections for women going forward. So that's where the confidence piece in our company comes in because we get the question a lot of how do I know something is going to fit or how do I know, you know, that the silhouette is right for my body? Well, we can tell them with confidence that we know that once we see your sizes and fit preferences, we have, you know, hundreds of thousands of data points behind us saying that you're like Susie in this regard and you're like Dana in this regard. And um, so these, these certain styles that we're sending to you right now are, are the best for your body type. How important is having that technology component? Do you think it's, um, you know, in, in terms of the business as a whole, is it, does it differentiate you from competition or, you know, how much of the business is, um, you know, how much of the value is driven from the, the technology and how much of it is driven from the, I don't know, the, the user base? Um, so the technology for us is extremely important. That's how we're, we're differentiating ourselves from like a, a stitch fix or a, a rent the runway um, or even like you mentioned, a trunk club. So with a rent the runway, who is also in the rental market, you you go through and you just scroll through, you know, hundreds of pages of dresses that you might want to rent um, with us. That tech data component is going to be growing in importance as we collect more and more data in terms of what we can offer our customers versus the competition. Yeah. You, you mentioned that, you know, I've, I've heard of some of these other companies, they've been around for a while. How's that business doing? I, it, I'm curious to know how it, you know, how, it sounds like you're kind of coming in um, that market has been established a little bit. Are, how, how much uh, are you uh, learning from what they've done right and wrong? How much are you trying to completely go a different route? Um, are, are, does it help having those people in the market that you can see what, you know, see their track records, see what they've done that seems to be working? Definitely. I think from the, the 
product side, which I'm, or the, when I say product, I mean the merchandise side, um, having those players in the market has been huge in terms of breaking into the designer world. Um, cause I think if we were the first ones doing it, people, the designers who sell the clothes to the retailers would just laugh at us because it, it wasn't something that was around, you know, five years ago or 10 years ago. Um, so from that perspective, it's, it's helped us, um, have these conversations with partners and they understand what we're doing. Um, but yeah, we, our data scientist, who I said is amazing, he, he came from Stitch Fix. So he has some, you know, insider knowledge there. And then seeing what Rent the Runway does, we're all like constantly on their, you know, mailing list and seeing what's new and great with them. Um, and they, we're, we're trying to set ourselves apart from Rent the Runway to answer your question. So, you know, we, we see them as feel like a princess for a day or feel, you know, like a, a, a queen for a day um, when you have an event and you want to rent a dress. Um, where we are, we're all encompassing of your lifestyle. So if you have a board meeting, we're there for you. If you have your son's soccer game, we're there for you. Um, so that's, that's where we're setting ourselves apart. Yeah. It's kind of tricky, uh, you know, in terms of picking a business, um, I've always, I've always lended toward doing things that are entirely new, uh, because they find them interesting building things that have never existed before. Um, but that's inherently more risky than than trying to do something that already exists, that's already successful and maybe trying to do it better or to come into an existing market. Um, so to me, there's always this tension about, you know, which ideas to pursue. Should you pursue the stuff that's entirely new because it's groundbreaking and revolutionary, or should you go into something that's, that exists, um, you know, where there's actually a market and people are actually spending money. So you don't have to create the, the market from scratch. Um, so in the, in the thing I'm working on lately, um, uh, we've got this subscription service for meditation, um, is, is something that I've been working on. It's called Holistrio. And, um, it's basically, you know, we've had this issue where it's kind of a lot like headspace or a lot like calm. Um, and so I struggle with, you know, to how much do we draft off of what those guys are doing and try to make sure we're, you know, we have a parity in terms of features and go after the same market because we know that they've, uh, you know, they raised like, uh, you know, something like $40 million. So we're kind of assuming that they have some smart money behind the decisions that they make and we're small and bootstrapped. So we try to like le learn from maybe the, the time that they've spent at the same time, it feels like you can't really build a business emulating what somebody else has got out because you're always going to be behind them in the market. You know, they're always going to be a step ahead of you if you're not out there trying to build something that's completely unique or, or at least, you know, di diverges from them in some way. Um, so yeah, it's, it's something that's been on my mind a, a bit lately. Um, you know, how much to go into all new features, how much to draft off of other, what other people have done and been successful with. Um, are you able to market to their customers at all? I, I don't know that that may be a touchy subject, but, but I mean, one of the nice things about having other people that do clothing rentals is that you can find customers that know about them who hopefully already are familiar with the concept. Do you guys do, do make any efforts to do that? Um, yeah. So with, what I said before about Seattle being our primary market in terms of size right now, um, that's been an area where Rent the Runway is known, but it hasn't really penetrated as deeply as the East Coast. So we do have customers on the East Coast who are probably our toughest critics because not only are they our more customers, but they're Rent the Runway customers. So we definitely have been picking their brains in terms of why do you like them versus us and you know what, what could we do to make ourselves one step ahead of them or or are you using us for two different um, needs? And that's that's primarily what the customers we have right now are using us for two different needs. 
Yeah. How do you get feedback from your customers? I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of back and forth when they're choosing clothing. Um, how do you find out about what they want? Um, do you have a, uh, that's another, another issue that most companies have to face is, is, um, asking for feedback, getting feedback, but not being, uh, annoying or, 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 um, feeling like you're spamming your customers. How do you, how do you guys handle that? So, like I said, we have everybody who rents clothes fill out a feedback form. So they have to, they have to at least tell us whether they like something and, and, or if they didn't like something. And in that box, we also have a free form text where they can tell us more. Like I, I did not like this dress because, you know, it was too tight in the hips or, um, you know, it, it was too short. Um, so they have that, that avenue to talk to us regularly because they're, they're forced to. Um, but outside of that, we're, we're constantly emailing you, when you're styling a, a woman, even though it's all virtual, you end up ha- having this relationship with them that's pretty intimate. Um, and it's very, very, in. it's a field where I think this is one of the few places where women kind of, besides a hair, hair salon, spill, spill their secrets to you. So, um, you know, when we find out that somebody is going to a baby shower or their son's getting married or their grandmother passed away and they have to go to a funeral, um, they, they feel... Um, confident and, and trusting in us and sharing all this information. So it really happens organically in how they, they share things with us. And then we also have the, you know, the methods of just, you know, reaching out to all of our customers occasionally asking them, you know, what could we do better? Yeah. So, so one of the pieces of feedback I know you've received is that uh, you don't currently stock plus sizes. And isn't it true that the average woman in America is a size 16, I believe? Yeah. Yeah. So, so how do you guys deal with that feedback? So that's something that's um, very close to my heart in terms of my my most recent job at Nordstrom. Before I left, I was working in the in the plus department for their private label, um, and found out a lot about this customer, um, and really came to love this customer. And because you know, there there's it's a very underserviced part of the market, but it's a very important and um, growing part of the market in terms of numbers. So. Um, Right now, we're restricted by the brands that we carry. They carry usually 0 through 12 and extra small through extra large. And in comparison to what we call a Missy brand, the extra large in some of these designer brands are actually more like a large or sometimes even a medium. So it's really frustrating not only for the customers that are in that demographic, but also for us that we can't service them in the way that we think is is going to be best for all women going forward. So we're reaching out to small local um and um, national designers that are specializing in plus because that's where we think we'll get um, the best play there and the best partnerships that will be meaningful to those um, customers in the future. So we're looking to to expand to plus size at some point. It's just um, finding the right partners to do it with. Right. So so you're just not finding the high end retailers and um, yeah the design yeah, yeah the the design market is is restricting from that perspective. Um, we want to offer the full breadth of um, assortment that we offer, you know, a size two to a size, you know, we would want to offer that same assortment to a size 14, 16, 20. Um, so until we can do that, we, we're not going to disappoint our customers. So we'll work constantly sourcing, but yeah, it's, it's a, a downfall of the, the fashion industry right now. So with your subscription model, how often do people, um, you know, get a package and then send it back. Yeah. So on average, most people keep their case of four items for about two and a half weeks ish. Um, some keep it more, some are constantly, you know, getting a new outfit every week. So we give you the option to 
make it work for you. So if you need something every week and on Friday you send back your package and submit your feedback, we'll send you a new virtual closet and you can have a new set of clothes for the next week. Um, if you you know, only have a couple events a month and you really love the four items you have and you want to wear them for three weeks or the whole month, that's fine too, as long as um, you're paying your subscription, which you can cancel at any time, um, you have the option to keep the clothes for what works best for you. Great. Great. Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks for being on the show, Brittany. This has been really, really interesting. Um, Brittany Seaball, how can people find out more about the company? Yes, please visit us at www.armoire.style. Um, and for all the listeners out there, we'd love to extend $25 off your first case with the code Boss Lady Power. And that's Boss Lady Power without any vowels. So it's B S S L D Y P W R. Thanks, Fantastic. Brittany. Thanks for being on. Yeah. Thank you. And for everyone else, uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week.